We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Again, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm very excited to have this amazing panel assembled and um, you know, share a little bit today about today's webinar topic, Proud and Empowered Supporting LGBTQ Plus Inclusion and Visibility in Education. And so to get started, I want to share a little bit more um, about IEI. Uh, we're the Institute for Education Innovation. We're extremely proud to um, sponsor this webinar series. Our organization is here to help uh, bring educational leaders together to ensure that they uh, have the influence, the access, the resources, and most importantly, the support they need to lift students' voices. Um, you can learn more about us at iik12.com. Um, and then I would love to kind of kick things off and uh, introduce kind of who is part of our panel today. So my name is Nate Lichty. I'm the Director of Marketing for II. I've been in education for over 10 years, working in K-12, through post-secondary education, and adult education. I live in Kansas City, Missouri with my husband, Jack, and two dogs. And I'm very excited to introduce uh, Dr. Tanya Wilson-Thavenason um, and Kelly Carpenter. Tanya, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and your district? Sure, happy to. Hi, everyone. Um, I just want to acknowledge we skipped over one of our friends who couldn't join us, Keisha St. Louis, or Keisha Scarlett, Dr. Keisha Scarlett, as uh, the new superintendent in St. Louis. Um, and she wishes she could be here with us today, but she cannot. So she's wonderful. I will try to do her, my friend proud. Um, but yes, hi, I'm Tanya Wilson Thavenison. Uh, my current role is I'm the deputy superintendent in Fairport, which is a suburb of Rochester City um, in New York. Uh, upstate, true upstate New York, not um, not the island or like that. So I'm from New York, um, upstate New York, and um, our district is about 5,600 students. I, I spent 21 years previous to that in the Rochester City School District as a principal in all settings, um, K through eight. And I'm just excited to be here with you all, learn and share a little bit and hopefully learn from the panel as well. So looking forward to it. I'm also, in all my spare time, I'm a mom of three. I have a daughter in the 11th grade and two little ones. My son is going into first grade and my youngest will be starting UPK. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Kelly Carpenter, please. Hi, everyone. Um, I am the Chief Academic Officer of the Gananda Central School District, which is a neighboring district to Tanya's. Um, we are a teeny tiny little district, um, considered rural, but really a bedroom community for the city of Rochester. I have been um, in that district for 17 years now, and I've been the high school principal um, and now in this role for six years. And prior to that, I was an assistant principal of Hilton High School, uh, a larger um, suburban school outside of Rochester, and taught in various um, suburban schools around the area. I've been leading our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work now for the six years I've been in the role, and uh, also a personalized learning initiative, which kind of blend perfectly together because it's all about student empowerment and blending um, student voice with instruction and looking at equity and how we can amplify student voice. Yeah. 
outside of all the work, I have one daughter who's um, actually in school for teaching and about to head into her senior year and, and be a student teacher. So she is um, going to be teaching summer school um, this summer. So very excited about that. And she's asking me for lesson plans. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And I do want to acknowledge Melissa Crawl at the, um, up there at the top as well. She is um, the uh, works with Aya as well uh, for our member success manager. She will be monitoring the chat and kind of answering any questions along the way and helping us uh, throughout the webinar. So let's kick things off and jump right in. And I would love to hear um, your thoughts on this uh, first question. What are some of the ways that you are creating an inclusive and empowering culture for LGBTQ plus students uh, in your district? Um, Kelly, would you like to, to kick us off? Sure. So we have been working very hard to have all voices at the table. Um, and that looks a, uh, like a bunch of different ways in our um, district. We started... Um, what we call human rights club. So because we're so tiny, we kind of really looked at the, what the students wanted and they wanted um, to look at how can we have all different voices sitting in one club at the same time so they can actually share each other's experiences. Mm -hmm. So they called it a human rights club. That's what we um, have. And then um, as administrators, we often turn to the Human Rights Club for representatives on various committees. So I have uh, two representatives in the Human Rights Club on my equity team. So they do um, a lot of work back and forth and, and bring information to and from the club to my equity team. We also, um, this past year, actually two years ago, listened to the Human Rights Club and looked at creating uh, on their suggestion an elective called Perspective on Human Rights. So they actually created the proposal. They worked with their advisor to bring it to me and the principal. We approved it. And this past year, they helped write the curriculum along with um, their advisor, and um, a social studies teacher, and we taught the course. So um, those are some of the things we've been doing to increase inclusion and visibility, as well as having um, teachers trained in having safe spaces, having um, flags hanging, rainbow flags hanging throughout the building so students feel safe and included. I, I'm not even sure if I can include all the ways right now. Oh, oh, gender neutral bathrooms. Um, about 10, 12 years ago, actually, we went to gender neutral bathrooms, safe spaces and locker rooms. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Dr. Wilson, Thevenason, how are you, um, you know, supporting students in your district? Yeah, um, I would I would say ditto to all those things Kelly said, right? So definitely we have clubs. Um, and, you know, it's been interesting for me in the two years that I've been there. We've also added um, some, some different ways for students' voices to be amplified. So we have now a student advisory council that meets monthly that um, really has dug into their choices. Just like Kelly was saying, it's really important to have students' voices be at the center of those committees. And um, when, when the students 
decide what they want to learn about or teach their peers about, they are really, really invested in that. And so one of my um, subcommittees in the Student Advisory Council has decided that they um, want to do a, a, a lesson for their peers on um, LGBTQIA plus rights. And so we'll be rolling that out next year. So that's really exciting. Um, some of the other things too, we have, we, just built a Black Student Union. Um, and I know that this is not necessarily about Black Student Union, but we have found that the intersection of um, LGBTQIA plus students and students of color, um, we're, we were missing them and we are missing supporting them. And so having any groups, I think that that amplifies historically marginalized subgroups of people um, really helps with everyone feeling included and welcomed. Um, you know, and it's little things too, like Kelly was mentioning the flags, wearing a pin, just kids notice that, right? And so when you when you are walking through the hallways and a student sees that you have a pin on, um, it's just like, you're a safe person, you're a safe place for them. Um, and then the last thing that I would just add is right now we, um, in the last year, I would say we've been, had we've had an onslaught of book challenges um, and all of the book challenges that have come our way have been LGBTQIA plus books. Um, and our district feels really strongly um, that we will rely on our policies to guide our, our process in those book challenges. And so we've done that. And in all of the challenges that, that have come our way, we've followed our process. We have a committee, including parents, that, that make a recommendation to myself and then in turn to the superintendent. And to date, we have not um, removed any books in following the policies that we have, so. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I mean, it's it's so important. And I love that you mentioned the, you know, it's, it's a lot of times just those little things, you know, 59% of LGBTQ plus students felt unsafe uh, at school because of their sexual orientation. This was reported in a study done by the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education um, Network. And so uh, it's so important to kind of build those in uh, and, and practice those little things. Uh, going on to our next question, you actually both hit on this a little bit uh, previously, actually. And so you both mentioned lessons and curriculum. So can you give us a little bit more detail about how you're implementing inclusive curriculum? Yeah, I'll start, Kelly, if that's all right. Um, I did see a question pop up. Are we training our teachers? And that's absolutely has to happen, right? So we do safe space training as well. Um, and then it's it's for a lot of our teachers, it's, it's just the education on um, how do you address topics that they might not be comfortable with, but our kids need to hear them, right? And so we have to have those conversations with our adults so they feel comfortable in those conversations and supported in those conversations, that they can they can take a risk and they can potentially make a mistake, right? And when we're in this work, it can get a little messy sometimes and we, we can make mistakes, we can use wrong pronouns, we can um, mispronounce student's name or use the, not use their preferred name. Um, and that goes the same with families. And we just have to be sure that we're modeling that it's okay to make mistakes and ask for forgiveness and move forward and correct and do better. Um, and so that's just one way that we've supported our teachers as, we, as we've been trying to implement a more inclusive curriculum. Um, I would just add too that we have really made a point of making sure that our libraries are reflective of our students. Um, and that includes, as I mentioned, the, the books that are in our libraries. At, and these are all in the middle and high school level that 
the challenges have come from. But even at the early grades, we have books like Worm Loves Worm, right? And mm-hmm. um, there's there's books that allow students that identify and families who identify as LGBTQI plus or transgender or um, or are you know thinking about pronouns switches. There's books that we can. Uh, introduce at early ages that just make people feel comfortable. Obviously, doesn't make you <laughs> do any of those things, right? Become any of those things, but it allows our students to see themselves in the curriculum. And just like we work really hard to make sure our Black and Brown students see themselves in the curriculum, we have to do the same for our LGBTQI plus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I would just—I mean, Tanya, you know, nailed most of that on the head there. But I would just add, um, we've been working on a curriculum and resource audit tool. So as we're purchasing Mm -hmm. software, as we're purchasing, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, an online textbook or um, I know we're not supposed to be purchasing them, but teachers pay teachers resources Um, (laughs) that my teachers are using this audit tool to kind of filter. Is it inclusive? Is it, um, you know, using, uh, a variety of pronouns. Is it using they, them? Is it not just using mother, father? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, so we have a, we have that tool out there that everyone should be using as they're looking at what they have in their classroom, what they're sending home, what is available for all students pre-K-12. Yeah, Kelly, can I just, I, I'm sorry, Nate, I just want to add, that's, that's one intentional thing that we did as well when we just did our new strategic plan. Um, we intentionally used language of caregivers to be more inclusive. Um, the family structure is not is not um, is not confined to mother, father, right, or even parents for that matter. It it really needs to be a more inclusive language that we use. And again, that's just a small way to shift your language, but make sure that people feel welcomed. Absolutely. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit, and um, our next question you know, is a little bit more about how do you engage uh, with parents and the community to foster an inclusive environment in your district? Kelly, I'll let you start on that one. Sure. So one of the things we we did this past year was um, we had a situation with a, a, one of the schools we, we play in athletics. Um, it was a small private school and their handbook was um, released to the public. And in their handbook, it clearly discriminated against students who were transitioning or gay. So um, we found that pretty uh, against what we believed in as a school. So we reached out to that school and asked if this was true or if you know if someone had made it up, if, you know what was going on. They refused to respond to us. Um, so we met with our students, athletes, uh, we pulled a variety of student athletes and again, reached out to our human rights club for representatives and met with them and talked, um, talked this through with them. Did they want to play them? Did they want to go to their facilities to play? Uh, did they want their teams coming to our facilities to play? And after talking a variety of issues through with, um, the kids, the kids felt very strongly that they didn't want, um, their parents and family members going to that particular campus because their parents, family members, their caregivers, 
um, maybe siblings might not feel safe on their um, campus. So we decided that uh, we would only play that team if they were playing on our campus. So we sent a letter to our community. We sent a letter to their uh, to their school stating these um, restrictions, so to speak, about whether or not we were going, how we were going to proceed in playing them. And our parents were fully in support because we had talked to our kids about this. Um, now, two years ago, when I stood in front of a board meeting and I did a presentation to the board on pronouns, it was not such a friendly environment. And I was called a devil woman and I was going to uh, hell in a handbasket and all sorts of crazy <laughs> things. So our community has gone uh, with all the education we've done with our community and our parents, they've come a long way. Um, mm. And because we have continued to talk to our students and bring um, kids and uh, parents into the fold and offered opportunities for parents to serve on committees, I won't say it's perfect, but um, we have really tried to bring people in and get their voice at the table and get student voice at the table. And we've, we've made some great gains. Again, not perfect. There's still a lot of people not happy with what we're doing, um, but they're less vocal. Um, and what we're finding is that the, those people that were the most vocal actually did not even live in our community. Mm. Yeah. yeah um, it's not for the faint of heart, Kelly, this work, huh? Um, Correct. And nothing worth doing is. So I, this is, this is a great place um, to be. And it's not, it's not always easy. I, I would just add to what Kelly said about engaging with, with families in the community. Um, again, it's, it's the same idea as we are doing with our students. You need to listen, um, acknowledge, accept, open the doors, have conversations, have face-to-face -face conversations at times to understand and learn and grow. Um, I think we've become in some ways as a society just very comfortable with a quick text message or an email. And when you're having conversations that are highly charged emotionally, um, because our families who are supporting students who are transitioning or who are questioning their identities, um, that's highly emotional for them. And they need to feel the love and care from you. You can't do that over an email, right? So um, we, had, we had a situation with a, um, a young student who was going by they, them um, in, in early grades. And the, there was an adult in their lives at, in our district that was mispronouncing uh, them. And so we, we had to sit down and have lots of meetings and, and repair so that there was trust built again in those relationships. And so I think, you know, you can big, do some big gestures with community, um, but I think it's the little things and those day-to-day -day conversations that you have that really build up that trust and repair the harm that even if you weren't the one that did it, that the district is committed to this work, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, just to echo what you were both saying and, and going back a little bit to what Kelly's saying, you know, you, you mentioned that it takes time, especially for that community piece. And it's just as with any form of education, it always takes time. Um, and, and I think that's always just something as educators we have to remember. It's, it's the slow and gradual road. Um, so transitioning a little bit, um, you know, and kind of echoing a, another study, 
that the Glinson uh, Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network did, um, they surveyed educators and one third of educators still felt that their jobs were at risk if they were out to administrators and over half uh, felt that their jobs would be at risk if they were out to students. So share a little bit about what some of the ways you are doing to make LGBTQ plus educators mm -hmm. feel included and represented in your districts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that's, that's so great. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Dr. Scarlett was able to join by oh. phone. Um, <laughs> she's worked really hard to to try to get on. She should. Dr. Scarlett, can you are you able to talk? Yeah, can you all hear me? Yes. yes. Hi, Hello. Thank you so much. My apologies to you. You all are doing a fantastic job. I've been watching the whole session. So. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Awesome. Well, thanks. So I'll read the question just to make sure. So the question was, what are some of the ways that you're helping to make LGBTQ plus educators feel included and represented? Keisha, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah, I can get started with that one. Um, again, um, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Keisha Scarlett, incoming superintendent at St. Louis Public School. You know, I um, think about that a lot of the work that we do really does start with how our um, staff feel valued and feel valued for the, um, the diversity um, that they bring um, into systems. And we say that we value diversity, but when there's too much divergence, we sometimes feel from ourselves and the value starts to diminish. So. How do we allow adults to come and be um, who they are, their whole selves, in the same way that we um, say that we value for students as well? So uh, representation matters. Um, it matters um, whose voices are at the table when decisions are being made and for us to think about the intersectionalities that we all have um, that, um, you know, as part of that diversity as well. So the question becomes, and how do we have inclusive environments for the adults that we're entrusting our students in their educational care and how do other voices, you know, elevated within that. And so um, having um, the type of representation when we think about the um, types of environments that we want to have for students, talking with our adults, a lot of it is our hiring practices um, mm -hmm. around that and how do we have hiring practices that are affirming to um, having diverse adults and understanding the value of students having you know, adults who um, have similar lives as them and similar experiences. And this cuts across race and, um, and ethnicity, um, but also it could be um, um, sexual or gender expression or um, sexual orientation. Uh, it's very important for students to have um, uh, educators who also look like their lives and their families who may reflect their families as well. And so um, that is important. And so it makes me think about policy and HR policy, but also mm -hmm. the types of values of people that we are trusting um, as hiring managers and systems, both in central office and in schools as well. Okay. I, I think it's important to do staff training on identities and then share identities as administrators with staff and with community um, as much as possible so that our staff feels safe sharing identities um, with community as well. Um, and I know it's silly, but, you know, putting your pronouns in your, um, mm -hmm. in your um, headings and, you know, everything that you can do to share pronouns, to share what it means to share pronouns, um, 
as much training as possible. And then as Tanya mentioned earlier, being brave, the mm -hmm. more that we, uh, you know, as a, as a savvy ally, the more that we put ourselves out there. Um, if, you know, when I can, when I can protect and, and put myself in front and take the bullets and the heat, I'm going to, so that I can, I can clear the path for everyone to feel safe behind me. Um, so we have to be brave and put ourselves out there to protect our staff so our staff can share um, and, and feel safe sharing with parents, with community, with students, so that students feel safe in school and see others with their identity. Um, I think that's a very important part of the work we do is, is leading with bravery. Mm. Yeah, the, the the only thing I would add, and I appreciate both of your comments, thank you so much um, for those examples, is that our educators are watching our reactions and our actions towards the things that we've mentioned already today, the book challenges, the um, the harm that's done, the misgendering and mispronouncing people. They are watching to see what we're doing. And even if we don't know how they identify, um, it matters to them. And we need to continue to do that. So I would just I would just add that to the to the table. And then the other thing, as Keisha mentioned, representation matters. And so in our hiring and hiring and retaining practices, we need to make sure that we are being inclusive. Um, and and I'm proud of Fairport actually in this in this setting that we have done a really nice job of having um, of making sure that our our staff that are have identified as LGBTQ plus and um, have come out as LGBTQ plus are represented in all levels of our um, system all the way up through central office. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. Some of the things that stood out was, you know, you talked, I, I think Kelly, you both, I mean, everyone kind of mentioned reflection and representation. Keisha even mentioned about how that starts to influence policy and HR and hiring practices, um, but then just leading with bravery. Um, in this work, that's so important is to, to lead with bravery. Um, and, and so transitioning again, um, so uh, Kelly, you started to mention this, but uh, for our next question, for all of the rest of our faculty and staff, so what, are, what, is the, what training or professional development opportunities do you offer to your staff to enhance their cultural competencies and promote inclusivity in the classroom? Kelly, should you start since you kind yeah. of? Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. So I've been doing kind of a, a series, a DEI series, so to speak. And um, it started in the fall of 2021 where I did pronouns. And um, I do it with all staff, bus drivers, facilities, uh, food service, um, teachers, administrators. Everybody has to attend the training. And, and it may look a little bit different because, you know, as a teacher, um, you may need to do something a little different with the training than um, uh, facilities, but everyone in our district needs to hear it, understand it, and um, understand the language and the vocabulary along with it. So we started with pronouns. Um, we've done identity and intersectionality. Mm. We've done microaggressions. And um, then this coming year, we're starting the year off with um, understanding trans rights and the truth about transgender. And also, okay, so you've heard of microaggression. What do you do about it? 
Um, mm. So those are the two themes we're doing um, for 2023. And again, all staff. So if you are in the facilities department and you hear two students in the hall, you're expected to address it. Or if you hear your colleague giving a microaggression, you're expected to address it. So it's been really fascinating to hear. Um, and I'm not going to lie, at the beginning, we had we had some people quit. Well, toodaloo. <laughs> and this is why I love Kelly. Toodaloo. He's so cute. I, I don't have much to add to that, Kelly. Also, I would like to hire you to come to do some trainings with us. Um, but I would say if people are looking for ideas, draw on the resources that you have available to you. Um, Svetlana happens to be on this call. Svetlana is part of our um, BOCES, which in New York is a consortium of districts. Mm -hmm. Svetlana and her team have been a wonderful resource to myself and other districts across the county um, where when we have topics that pop up that we may not have the capacity to internally train and do the work. I have lots of love and support, but this is not my knowledge base, right? And so I know where I'm not an expert and I will find somebody else who is. And so I would just encourage people to do that as well. You know what, before, Keisha, I don't want to cut you off if you're about to jump in, but I see a lot of comments and, and I want to address the fact that um, Tanya and I have talked about this before. We are blessed to be in New York. Yes. Um, we have a very progressive state. Um, so I, I wish the rest of the country was in the same um, progressive mindset as New York. So I, I don't know how to answer some of your questions um, about how to do this work. Um, but know that um, if New York could pass laws that were <laughs> that worked in all of your states, we would. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to help the rest of you, but know that we'll share whatever resources. And if you want Tanya and I to come train in your state, we will. And we'll just get on a plane immediately following. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> Keisha. I think we can take some benefits from that. I, not too much more to add. I want to go back to policy. We had a board resolution um, passed um, in 2020, July 2020, in Seattle Public Schools, um, that was affirming um, the rights of LGBTQ2 um, um, plus um, students and families. And then that led to other superintendent procedures around anti hostility, um, you know, measures to be put in place around that, the models and policy. Um, we have an amazing um, um, health education resources um, staff. Um, you know, um, some of whom, of course, in representation, both represent being people of color, but also the intersection between part of being part of LGBTQ, um, you know, plus um, community. And they have established these mini modules that are small modules, five to six minutes, that um, do like an introduction, talk about why it's important um, to have support um, for students what it means to have a safe and supportive wel welcoming environment. Um, it breaks down what is gender, um, practicing pronouns proudly, um, you know, one-on-one like type training. So going back to what was shared before, that part about having trainings and having it in a place, um, you know, so that people can access them and sort of repeat over and sort of um, really understand how do you build um, just um, the capacity to be able to 
create affirming environments. We are not all nationally inclusive. We're not all nationally affirming. And it's a, a progress. I am constantly making progress um, in this area that isn't part of one of my sort of intersectional identities. However, I have loved ones and, um, and people that I love and, um, and the community that I serve uh, mandates me to lead with love for, um, for our students and families. But that's not love in private, that is public um, affirmation also in who is part of my team, um, who um, is our stakeholders that we bring together. And the other thing I'll say is, how do we look for intersectional opportunities when we, um, you know, um, do in, in Seattle, well, I'm blessed to be in Seattle also in that context. When we do Black um, Lives Matter Week, we also talk about LGBTQ um, intersections and about the, you know, the higher um, number of trans um, women who um, are murdered or met with violence um, in the intersection within the Black community. Um, when we're speaking about Native American history, we also bring those intersections in. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just here's um, Pride Month and let's talk about this. How do we keep this type of um, communication going on before? Because everyone deserves to be able to be affirmed in their environment. Nate, I want to jump in real quick because I saw some questions in the chat, but um, the professional development that I listed, um, we also do with students. So what we do is we roll out, um, after we provide this to our staff, we roll out a playlist to um, students or to teachers. And it's kind of a, um, you know, within the next three months, we want you to choose a developmentally appropriate resource and roll this out to students as well. So microaggressions, identities. So like our second graders created identity um, drawings um, and kind of talked about identities and intersectionality and what that means in a developmentally appropriate way. So, you know, we try to uh, bring it down at least as low as second grade when in, when appropriate and um, roll all these trainings out to students. Um, when it's easier, m middle school, high school, we do assemblies, uh, but we try to keep them uh, on more of a small scale level because it's a little bit easier and makes more sense. So our teachers do um, kind of roll these out after we do the trainings. Fantastic. Um, well, before we, we transition and jump into the Q&A, I want to give each of you the opportunity, um, you know, and moving into our next question, is there, are there any other success stories or examples that maybe we haven't touched on so far of how your district um, and you are creating a uh, welcoming and inclusive environment for LGBTQ plus students. We've hit on a lot, so. <laughs> yeah, we have, I know. I was, I was just trying to think of a specific example. And, you know, sometimes the big things stand out, but it's all, like I mentioned before, it's the mm -hmm. little things all the time in a day-to-day -day life for a kid and their families and for our staff. Um, so nothing is really rising to the top right now, um, but maybe as the as my colleagues add something. I, I would like to share, um, I had the privilege of sitting at graduation and listening to both my valedictorian and salutatorian talk about the importance of being in the human rights club and having mm -hmm. student voice. And I asked our valedictorian to, to send, if I could uh, quote her speech and, and use it in this webinar today. And she 
was thrilled and, and said that here in Gananda, this is from the student voice, uh, we have made more of an impact than it may seem. With each of our voices, we have the choice to create change, whether it be positive or negative, um, through our leadership and human rights. And I have been able to find my voice and create a positive change in the school. And her advice to all of us, um, everyone on this webinar, because I asked her to go back to the Human Rights Club, um, was that the simple action of having an outlet for students that's safe and protected is super important. Um, it's not just enough for a school to have a club. School and administration have to actively support the club and amplify the voices of the students in that club and in the school. Um, doing things like the class, making the electives in school were the most important parts of her life. And she feels like this would be something important for everyone to know um, that for electives like this to thrive, school administration must make sure they continue to listen to students. Mm. Beautiful, Kelly. So good. Mm. Keisha, any um success stories from, from your district? Yeah, I would say um, a number of, of success stories. One of them was um, student action um, driving in 20, um, 2019 and 2020, gender inclusive bathrooms. It was student organizing through our um, GSAs across the district and how they um, bound together in order to um, make these changes in environments. And so it caused um, you know, environmental shifts at the school sites where, you know, some schools were opting in and then policy was um, was changed in order to mandate it. And then it seemed our district office seemed to be the slowest um, to be able to move forward. So I can't under um, cut the, um, I think about opportunities, um, opportunity structures and for students, um, some work by Dr. DeLeon Gray that um, he does work called Black and Belonging, but he talks about opportunity structures um, of having instructional, institutional, and interpersonal opportunity structures. And um, at the point of those um, interpersonal opportunity structures is really how do we activate um, students on behalf of themselves. So many of us adults are making policy um, on behalf of students and their families, but not involving the, the, them um, in that process. So how might students be activated in order to mandate the types of changes that we need in schools is actually not us. It's really our young people who are going to make the world change um, to be the type of place that doesn't yet exist for them. Yeah. Um, Keisha, thank you for saying that. And I just want to mention something. One of the reasons that we keep going back to policy, at least that I go back to policy, is that those policies live beyond me and Kelly and Keisha. As we walk away from our rules at some point, um, those things, not only do they give us backing when we are faced with questions about books or questions about um, bathrooms or questions about rights, um, but they also live beyond us. And so I think that that's just so important. So depending on what role you're in, just keep that in mind. Um, and I did have one that popped in when Kelly was talking. I actually got a text today. I can't believe that I didn't even think about it, but one of my students who's on both Student Advisory Council and in our Black Student Union has to move to a different district. And she texted me today and said, Dr. T, do they have stuff like that at this next district? Because I've learned so much and I really, um, I'm going to miss that 
right? She's like, I need to know if there's something like that when I go over to that school. So I said, all right, I'll find out for you, but you can also start it. And she's like, you're right. I could do that. Yeah. So it, you've got to involve the kids, listen to the kids. Um, and I think we've talked about that a lot and their families. So, Well, Absolutely. if it's my district next door, then yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's not. It's okay. Well, she'll be well taken care of and she has a voice and she knows how to use it. So. Um, alrighty. Well, let's, so I've seen a few questions coming from the chat. We're going to transition a little bit to uh, try to get through a few of these questions uh, that have come through. Okay. So our first question is, how do you deal with students um, wants and what parents want? Yeah. So depending on age, right? So that's how we deal with that. We always respect the student's choices. Um, if they would like to be called by a different name or a different pronoun at school, but their parents don't know, we just, we note that in our systems and that's what we do. Um, and then we can also be helpful to families if the students want us to. There's a level of trust that needs to be built there, but um, that's how we would handle that. Oh, I would just say that's attention. Yeah. Um, you know, we had um, created K-5 gender books and lessons and um, in videos, uh, a series um, in Seattle Public Schools for K through five students. And they were developed back in 2017. And we know the world is quickly changing around us, um, but um, continue to be met with um, some level of parent concern about are we, you know, um, promoting a certain type of sexual orientation or um, something that is outside of what they want for their students. And, you know, but we're mandated to acknowledge um, who we have in our school system and create ways that are affirming for them. So a lot of times there's a held tension between that of, you know, at least our K through five students, they don't have choices um, around, you know, what their learning will be. And actually students don't have choice in many cases. They come to schools that are compulsory and adults, again, are making choices um, for them. So I say that there's always a tension in between that. There is a book by, um, I think, George Theo Harris. I can't believe, I remember the other author, and it's called Leadership for Increasingly Diverse Schools. It divides, it has practitioners and scholars from across different areas, um, the social frontiers of family and community engagement, um, inclusion in race, inclusion in, um, you know, um, sexuality, sexual expression, LGBTQ, a number of different um, areas um, across um, inclusive inclusion and um, um, really bringing families along and communicating with them and making them part of policy um, changes and shifts and enlisting them to be part of um, this um, work is, is as important as, um, as students as well. And so, um, it, you know, we are always going to be met with um, with adversity when um, change is being suggested or things that move outside of what people may um, choose for their students as well. But um, they've also signed to be part of public education and um, it's a place where people can't be excluded from. And so that's the whole point of inclusion um, within that. Fantastic. Uh, okay, let's queue up. Oh, perfect. Um, if your school or district offers travel experiences, performance, etc., how do you ensure inclusivity inclusivity uh, while youth are traveling? A really great question. We just this just actually happened um, with my Black Student Union. We were 
we went to um, visit Howard and Morgan State this last year. One of my students who, ident who identifies as um, non-binary um, and has not transitioned fully, um, was born a male, came to me and said, unless I can room with these two girls, I can't, I don't feel comfortable going on this trip. And so we worked through that. We, um, I had conversations with all the parents that were involved um, with that child's permission, obviously. Um, and we were able to make a decision that, that allowed them to feel very included in the trip and participate. So it was, it was wonderful that the trust was built to have the conversation, that they felt empowered to come and ask the question, and that we were able to come to a solution that made a lot of sense for um, that student. And again, I know New York is easier to work in <laughs> and a lot of these things, but um, it's important that everybody have access and feel comfortable in their, um, in their schooling experience. And that's our job. Oh, the solution was that the, the student was allowed to, to room with the females. Um, next question, please. Okay. How would you suggest including the parents into the school climate for their student as a supportive part of the LGBTQ plus community? I think we, we've talked about this a little bit already, but I think it's um, really, you know, that not email, not parent square, not we really need to invite parents in. I know that's hard to do. Um, but we have to make sure that parents see that we have those things we talked about, like the rainbow flags, like gender neutral bathrooms, like inclusive spaces. Um, so the more we can get them in the buildings and the buildings feel safe and look safe and, and students feel safe, um, the, the more parents are going to feel like the school is safer um, and feel like they're a part of the community when they're on committees, when their voice is at the table, when they're included in writing the code of conduct and included in all those pieces that we've talked about as we go. Um, the more voices that are at the table and the more they know student voices at the table, that's when um, parents understand um, even the opposition parent voices, when all student voices are at the table and all parent voices at the table, it becomes harder to argue when everyone is heard. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what strategies uh, would you recommend uh, for remembering to use they, them, uh, since it's, it's viewed as plural and easier to trip up on? Any strategies to kind of remember pronouns? Yeah. Um, and then there was another one about, you know, what do you do when you mispronoun someone? Um, yeah. So just two questions related. It, it is it is hard. We have to train our tongues and our minds and our brains to switch our vernacular, but we can do that. I don't speak the same way I did when I was 15, right? And um, and I and I speak differently in certain rooms than I do in, in others. So we have the ability as intelligent human beings to do that, and it takes work, and you will make mistakes. So 
what one thing that I've done specifically is I slow down. I think about it a couple of times, even when I was just telling that story, you may have heard a little bit of a hesitation when I said they, um, because my mind wanted to do something different and I have to stop it. So it's a conscious effort. It takes, it takes commitment and it takes work, but, um, we, we have the ability to do those things. So, and again, own it, right? Mm -hmm. it, we're going to make mistakes. We're human beings and you own that and you apologize and you move on. Um, and I, I've, I've found that to work really well for me. There are some great videos out there about the actual use of, of they, them, there. Um, for example, you would never say, did anyone lose his or her jacket? You usually say, did anyone lose their jacket? So um, when you start thinking about they and them and their differently, it actually helps you to retrain your mind too. So there's some really great videos out there that I all of a sudden went, Oh, duh, it's not, it doesn't have to, I can retrain my brain. So. Yeah. I was just going to jump in because I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community and I still mess this up. So I think it's very important to echo what both of them were saying. You have to give yourself grace and you just have to progressively work at it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you, and I think most importantly with this, it is very much okay to ask if you're not sure. Uh, education is just a part of it. So, yeah. uh, excellent. I think we've got time for maybe one more, and then I want to transition to a few other pieces. So, um, how do you support students who don't have support at home? This is a great question. So, what are some strategies when our students aren't in our schools? Yeah, and this is one of many questions like this in the chat. Um, especially if you're in states where, you know, that you're being told you can't do these things. And I think that's part of why representation and, and support and student voice matters so much, because we know that's a reality for a lot of our children. Um, and that's our job as educators is to support our students. We support them in learning to read. We support them in learning how to do mathematics. We can also support them socially and emotionally. And I know for some of you, you can't say that right now, but... Um, we can in New York, so we do. And um, I apologize again for being in New York, but we have to support our kids. We have to give them those safe spaces. Um, and we do that in lots of ways in our district with our counselors, our social workers, trusted teachers, having clubs that they can find themselves represented in, um, seeing books on the shelves that represent them, right? So all of those things. And I think that's, you know, that's one of our jobs. And I personally, and I'll just say this, I could not work in a district that did not allow us to do that work. And I'm not saying that um, as a judgment, but it just as my personal, like I, there's a few hills that I will die on and this is one of them. Um, and so it's, it's just, we've got to find ways to support our kids, even in places where we're not allowed to. And I think there's always workarounds. I used to be a rule follower and now I'm a, tell me the rules so I can figure out how to get to where I need to go. So. Yeah, can I just add um, one more thing onto that? I, the beauty of public education um, being compulsory is that not all children have and students have the same level of support, but the community is what adds that support to them, that school community. And so um, one of the best ways, I believe, is to ask students and to check in with them. And so how do we have the type of data tools that help to gather their insights about the relationships they have, the adults that they have, that they trust in school in order to help support them? 
one of the things we've been doing with our student climate surveys in um, Seattle Public Schools um, is to begin really moving into different areas of, um, of student representation and their identity representation and being able to ask those different questions so we know um, at a high level, you know, what the support looks like, but can narrow it in um, for students as well um, to be able to better understand their support system um, and then to think about what are other options. So if students don't have residential, or sorry, at school support for different clubs like um, a GSA, um, then how are they able to get connected um, virtually with other students and other campuses? other community things, or how do we ask adults in the school to step up because maybe they just haven't been asked to do that, or how are we ensuring that we're recruiting, um, you know, diverse staff into schools that we know that that would be part of their interest to be able to help support um, some of these different efforts and, you know, um, pull from community as well. We have a, a, a vast um, amount of community partners who can be brought in to help support, you know, our students as well. And so I say, how do we always start with students and look at their insights, gather the data, and then, um, you know, go to them to help to develop these solutions um, for their students as well. Nate, I know we're I know we're moving on. Um, I just want to address a question that popped up in the chat. Do we get yeah. feedback from straight kids who feel overlooked or marginalized? Um, so I just and the reason I want to address that is I feel very very strongly that equity work benefits everyone, um, yeah. and. That happens that that's an argument that people will make like oh my kid is going to miss out but the reality is when we focus on um teaching all kids to read as i heard today in a, in a meeting all kids learn how to read better right so when we're closing gaps in performance gaps close for every single kid when we are focusing on somebody who's been marginalized everyone benefits from that work um there's there's a an example that um that I've been shared, that's been shared with me before of when the um, when the soldiers came back, I think it was Vietnam War, um, there was so many people that were missing limbs and they needed to um, access the cities and the downtowns. And so they cut the curbs so that there was ramps and there was pushback on cutting those curbs. But the reality is cutting those curbs benefited not only those soldiers who were handicapped because of the war, but moms pushing buggies and, um, Skateboarders in the years after that. So when we do something to benefit some, it really does benefit all. Yeah, such a good example. And Nate, just sorry, one last thing. I'm here with Tanya. Um, uh, Dr. Scarlett, if you could say the name of that book again, you said it and a lot of people have asked you to, to say it again. So everyone get ready. Dr. Scarlett is going to say the name of the book that, that she recommended. <laughs> Yes, it's called um, Leadership for Increasingly um, Increasingly Diverse Schools, and it's by, here, I'm pulling it up right now, sorry, excuse me, it is by, um, edited by George Theo Harris and Martin Scanlon, and I would go to the second edition because they made, like, post-COVID, um, you know, or not post-COVID, we're still in COVID, but um, it's more updated because there was a first edition. So leadership for increasing diverse schools is our core text around our inclusionary practices work that we're doing in our um, school district. So good. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so in closing, and thanks for all those great questions. I wish we had a little bit more time to get to all of them. Um, but I want to jump forward, and I think it's so important to um, actually share a few simple takeaways for this audience. You know, we've talked about so many things. 
Um, a lot of them are much easier to implement than some of the others, especially depending on your state. So I want to share a few simple takeaways um, to start, and then um, uh, we'll turn it over a little bit too. I think, you know, some ways that I think the audience can really just help to create an inclusive and empowering space for LGBTQ plus students, um, first and foremost, is just to understand the laws um, and protect yourself for your specific states. You know, we've talked about that a little bit, that it's so different everywhere over all over our country today. So understanding that and familiarizing yourself with those, um, that's how you can become the, one of the best ways to become a, a great advocate. Uh, using inclusive language and listening. Um, we've talked so much about that. Displaying a pride flag if you can. Um, educating yourself, you know, learning more about the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, asking questions, watching documentaries, attending EdWeb's webinars like this, you know, it's a great opportunity. And then, of course, amplifying um, LGBTQ plus voices. Um, I think, you know, and Tanya kept saying this, it's so important to remember that supporting and advocating for this community doesn't require some grand gesture. Oftentimes, simple acts like displaying a flag, listening and learning is a great way to amplify voices and to be a great advocate. So with that, I want to turn it over to um, our panel here um, uh, and uh, Kelly and Dr. Scarlett and Dr. Wilson Thapanason and hear some of your thoughts. And then while they're kind of sharing their takeaways, we're going to put up a poll um, so that you can all can kind of share some of uh, the takeaways you're coming. Uh, are, are going to be taken away with. Um, Kelly, would you like to, to start or, or with your takeaways and let us know? I, of course, love being with all my colleagues on, and I learned so much from everybody. I'm right next door to Tanya, and yet never get to talk to her unless we're on a Zoom or in some other state. So this is fantastic. But um, my takeaways, I, I'm putting um, the name of a great book um, in the chat or the um, chat right now, the Savvy Ally by Jeannie Gainsburg, who's actually from the Rochester area, is a great way to um, be an ally. Um, a lot of simple takeaway tricks, um, not tricks, I shouldn't say that, tips. Um, but just listen, listen and bring the right people to the table. Um, always think about students, parents, staff, and lead bravely. Mm. Okay. I'll add, um, I had something great in my head and it just slipped. I'm so sorry. Um, no, I, I think it, I think it is just be vulnerable to learn and grow. Um, and then one thing that I do just want to add a, a language shift that I've been working on is microaggressions. Um, I, someone who I absolutely love and respect and love to listen to speak, Dr. Bettina Love said um, once, uh, don't tell me if it's a micro or a macro aggression. It's an aggression and it hurt me and I'll tell you how much it hurt. And so I think it's just important for us to remember that even small comments, like if we were to say something that we grew up, that I grew up saying as a kiddo, like that's so gay. Um, when adults don't address language like that, those comments mm -hmm can and will hurt our children. And that's something that I think any of us can do, no matter what state you're in, is to make, to, to correct language, right? And so little, a small gesture that goes a long way um, so that we can stop those aggressions for our students. That's, I remembered it, Nate, I came back. <laughs> 
I just want to give um, some slow clap amens for Kelly and Tanya, um, for your sharing. And, um, and Tanya, I was just thinking about that love is justice in public. That's what um, Corner West says. And um, any time that we as adults turn a blind eye and act like we don't um, see um, what's happening um, when and how students are treating each other or how students are being treated, the, our babies are watching and they're paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, and you can say that you're leading for equity, but you're being incongruent um, when you're not addressing that. So um, even if you don't know how to interrupt something, saying, I'm not absolutely sure what's happening here, but I know that this isn't okay and that your classmate is not feeling, you know, affirmed and included and like they have belonging here. I don't know exactly all the things that need to be said in this place, but this is a place where we'll tolerate, you know, not where we will not just have tolerance, but we'll care enough to ensure that everyone feels like they belong here. And finding the type of language and practicing that language, um, I think becomes helpful. So Kelly said at the beginning, practice is what we need, all of us, um, so that we can all build the type of fluency that we should have in being able to address and be equity-minded um, across multiple different domains when it um, comes to the edu educational and um, emotional and, um, you know, mental health and physical well-being of our students. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. These are so good. <clears throat> um, well, thank you so much. Um, and, and Dr. Scarlett, Dr. Wilson Thavenason, Kelly Carpenter, I'm so honored and I'm appreciative that you joined our webinar today. Um, as a reminder, um, we do have um, another webinar coming up on Unleashing Your Leadership Potential, a panel for aspiring superintendents and district trailblazers. And then um, that one's actually going to feature II's very own uh, CEO and founder, Doug Roberts. Um, so be sure to register and sign up for that one. Uh, and then there are a few other opportunities uh, with II that are uh, right around the corner as well. Um, so with II Lead, we have the Aspiring Superintendent Institute uh, and new this year is the Aspiring District Leader Institute. So these are two great ways if you're looking to um, continue to grow um, and move into additional leadership. Um, there are applications are still being accepted for this. And then we also have the II uh, Equity Workshop that is coming up in Annapolis, Maryland. This is a free event that you can attend in person. Um, I will be there and um, be there. I believe and Tanya will, will be there. It's a great event to hear some, um, some from the uh, forward thinking uh, minds and leaders and the equity work within the K through 12 space. Um, so be sure to join that. Otherwise, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and a great week uh, and enjoy the rest of Pride Month. Um, Nate, I did want to just say one thing. Yeah. If the person's still on, they had a question in the chat, would I share my policies? Absolutely. They're public, searchable, no problem at mm -hmm. all. Just if you yeah. want to connect with me, um, you can do that on. Yeah. The, yep. My information's in the chat. So just reach out and I can send you whatever you need. Same with Gnandas. Ours are right on our website. Yep, and we will follow back up with all this information. So thank you all so much for joining, and uh, yeah, have a good day. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you would like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net 
slash podcasts for more information.